inshallah if other people come in then we can just expand as they come it's, it's not something uh, maybe we're engrossed in either listening or just in our thoughts but in a gathering when somebody comes and joins even if there's space even if there's space for, this is the Islamic etiquette even if there's sufficient space the hadith tells us to still move a little bit or make the gesture of moving it's just courtesy and it makes the other person feel better and that's the benefit for them but the benefit for you is Allah will give you a place in his mercy it's actually a command of the Quran when you are told in the gatherings to create space for somebody you should create a space and if you do so Allah will create a space in his mercy for you and that is priceless so more than the other person the benefits always for yourself more than it is for other people but even in, you think of the other person they feel imagine somebody walks into a gathering okay and you don't move right as opposed to just making a shift but here we've got sufficient space if somebody was to come they can sit but if i was to just go like this a little bit it makes somebody feel oh they've made space for me and that that is what islam encourages for us to do and again another way of us learning the beauty of our deen alhamdulillah so we're at a time where no words can describe what is going on for those who've suffered uh, the earthquake and those who are going through and still going through and we're hearing stories um, now we'll only call them miraculous where after five days and so many hours you know some children are being pulled out alive yesterday we've seen two incidents where a five-year-old boy was pulled out again after five days and somebody asked him didn't you get hungry how did you eat and he says that every now and again someone dressed in white would come and feed me give me drink and go away later on he'd come again feed me go away and this is a life something real that happened which has been reported directly from there um, similarly we have the incident of a couple of days ago a woman who was in there and they managed to revive and recover her but she refused to come out until she said somebody give me a headscarf and she she's almost lost her life the building could crush down further any time after hours and days she's been found but she's saying send me a cloth I just want to cover my hair she doesn't know who's out there and she asked several times and you can hear it you can actually hear it in the recording and the people then gave in and said come on let's just find a cloth and send it to her and they send it to her and she manages to cover her hair and then she accepts to be helped another incident where a girl a young girl again a young girl was revived and recovered and she's not even fully in her senses and she's been pulled out and the first thing she's saying is she the first thing literally the first thing she and she kept repeating I want to pray how many days have gone by I don't even know and I've not had a chance to pray can I pray and you can see that she's not even 
there. Um, another incident from yesterday is when a woman was recovered from there again after so many days, it's been now. And the first thing she said is throughout my time in there, I was praying to Allah that, oh Allah, just like you saved Yusuf from the well, I want you to save me like that. Now those individuals who've been through that experience, they come out so much more stronger, so much more resilient, and so much more closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant comfort to these people, grant ease. And my words are nothing. I, I can't, I'm not even the right person to speak for this. Because what they've gone through, only they know. And no matter you know how much we say and how much we do, it's never gonna, it, we can't. That's not, that's not my place to speak about their situation. Because just seeing it, Right after a bit, you have to you have to literally put it off, because it's unfair. It's unfair for us to be in so much comfort and then make a statement or a judgment or trying to even try to understand what they're going through. I don't think we can ever ever do that. It's just like when we go through things and we say, "Oh, no one understands me. No one understands what I'm going through." That is probably the worst thing that's happened to them. And even people who have been dedicating their lives for serving humanitarian causes, they're saying that we've not seen this level of devastation. In Syria, we're seeing that Syria has been a war-torn city and a war-torn country for years now. But despite that, the reports that we're hearing about the damage and the injuries and the loss of lives and just not knowing what's happened uh, as a result of this earthquake is just on another level so we continue praying for them and you know as we spoke about in Juma, this is a huge test for them and it's a huge test for us as well and it kind of goes in line with what we've been discussing not many weeks ago now it's been about gratitude where you know here is a huge test for us where we can see clearly um, thousands of people in an unfortunate situation when we compare it to ours. And, you know, there's no room left now for us to feel, you know, why don't I have this or why can't I have this or why is this going like this or, you know, this isn't right or this is a little bit like this and this is a little bit like that, where we use this as a means to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, last week we spoke about that dua. When you see somebody in affliction, well, this is the time to use that. Alhamdulillah, alladhi aafani mimma abtalaka bihi wa faddalani ala kathirin mimman khalaqa tafdeela. How kind, how gracious, how merciful has Allah been to us. If Allah wanted, He can take. He's the giver and He's the taker. He gives and He takes. That's up to Him because everything belongs to Him. Sometimes he, like, he wants to give, sometimes he wants to take. Why he does it, that's up to him. He has a reason because he's Al-Hakim and All-Wise. He has a reason for everything. And he doesn't need to explain that reason to us. Despite that, he's given us many reasons. And one of them is gratitude. How will we ever show gratitude to Allah if we didn't know the other side? And this is why he says that he's created things in pairs. 
He's created the night and the day. No, wouldn't it be lovely to just be day all the time? Right? But then you wouldn't appreciate the day. Thus the night is there. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was just good? Everything was just good. But how would you know who's good and who's not? And how good someone is? Imagine Allah just sent everyone to Jannah. Some of us think sometimes. Well, just as we think, on the other side it's unfair. That's not fair as well. What did you do to deserve it? And here is a, life is a test where you actually deserve. And then there's levels between people. Some people strive harder than others. So Allah wants to show that he's appreciative. And this is through understanding Allah through his names, his divine names and attributes. Is something that every single one of us needs. Ash-Shakur, for example. Right, this, let's look at one name. Ash-Shakur comes from Shukr. Now, how is Allah, we think Shakur is thankful, right? How is Allah, how can we apply this name to Allah? We are grateful. What is Allah grateful for? What does it mean when, it, when we apply this name to Allah? Anyone? So this is, this, is, this is good, but this is the, um, the benefit of making shukr. The benefit we know, we thank Allah, Allah gives us more. But what does it mean? I'm looking for the meaning. What does it mean? When we apply this name to Allah, what does it mean? Hmm? That's what I heard someone say. I'm repeating the meaning in my head and I'm hearing hearing it now no the meaning is that Allah is extremely appreciative he appreciates right and that's powerful because we're all looking for the appreciation we all want to be appreciated no matter how big or small the hadith that speaks about the man who was walking and he saw a branch in the middle of the path and he thought that this branch is going to cause somebody inconvenience. So he picked it up and put it to a side. The hadith uses the words, Allah did shukr of his action and granted him jannah. What does it mean? What does that mean? Allah appreciated, right, what he did and granted him jannah as a result. Do we understand? Can we see? So that, went, so that is... Just what, that's just one name, one attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to understand how appreciated. Now, when we, when we speak about attributes for people, we understand them from a human level. And because we're humans, and this is what we're speaking about, what tends to happen is we start applying these things to Allah in a human way. And this is where we go wrong. When we say Allah is appreciative, just like in his that, meaning in his essence, he's total, he's complete, and he's perfect. In his attributes, he's total, complete, and perfect as well. So now, appreciate this act of being appreciative, we can't comprehend it. It's to the maximum, to the most perfect, and to the most total sense, 
as is appropriate for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just as his, his mercy, and just as we spoke about on, on Juma, his wisdom. You can't try and understand the wisdom of Allah because we don't, we can't understand it. It's, it's not possible for us. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a, a better understanding of him. And in reality, that is why we're in this world. Some scholars mention when Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I've only created mankind and jinnkind so that they worship me. Some scholars have said that لِيَعْبُدُونَ here means لِيَعْرِفُونَ Not that they worship me, so that they recognize me. Because the greatest thing is to recognize Allah. There is nothing greater in this world than recognizing in, in the terminology is called ma'rifa to get to know Allah better that is why we're here and how will we know Allah better is through all these happenings these incidents that happen and Quran Allah has revealed himself in the Quran he's told us through many incidents and stories and inshallah we'll go through um, one of them uh, very shortly inshallah to explain what we've been discussing Okay, let's continue with what we were speaking about. What were we speaking about? Hmm? Okay, so we're speaking about unhealthy thinking patterns. And remember, one of the main reasons is thinking in an unhealthy way the first impact it will have is on our relationship with Allah and with other people and with ourselves. And this is why it's so key. We're not just speaking about it so our lives become better. It's important so our faith becomes stronger as well. And then our connection with ourselves and with the other people, whether it's family, friends, community, anyone in the world. So. We spoke about a few and the one we're discussing now is overgeneralization. One incident happens which we see as a negative incident, what we see as a negative incident, and then we apply that to all incidents, thinking if it happened once, it's probably going to happen again. Or if one person uh, betrayed us, everyone's going to betray me. Or potentially, maybe you might not think that everyone's going to betray me, but potentially, if not today, down the line, this guy's going to betray me again uh, as well. So it's best for me not to make a friendship, or it's best for me not to, for example, get married again, or it's best for me not to go into a job again, because this is going to keep happening. Um, and I'd rather just not. I'll just stay alone. I'm okay. And then last week we spoke about avoidance coping and it, it looks very good on the outtake seems good you think no expectation no disappointment because remember if I've been betrayed once or if I've been let down or if I had a bad experience say in a marriage in a friendship in a job it could be anything now for me to go into this again I'm exposing myself to being vulnerable 
Because there is a possibility that I may get let down again. Do you, are we following? And it's that vulnerability that we want to avoid. If we knew 100% like it's not going to happen, then we'd just go into it. But now I'm being vulnerable. And that could happen. We're not saying it won't. But it's not, we can't kind of go about life thinking, it's definitely going to happen. These are overgeneralizations. So I just avoid it. So I don't have to go through them. Now going through that vulnerability, this is, this is, so instead of that, a person then begins to uh, find ways of just getting by and telling yourself, I'm okay, I'm okay. And it could be a number host of things. What kind of things did we speak about last week? In avoidance coping, what do we do? Avoiding difficult conversations. And sometimes we need to speak about it. Okay. It could be something about, you know, let, let's talk about friendship, for example. So it could be about going to a certain event. And without us realizing, because we get so used to it, we might avoid attending certain events because we will have to expose some of our personal details. Because when you speak, when I'm, when I'm going to be at an event, I'm going to be sitting on a table eating with Ahmad Bai, for example. I'm not going to just be quiet there. Ahmad Bai will be there, other people will be there. And some people are quite, you know, they, they ask questions. And then when people ask me questions, I'm going to tell, have to tell them about my personal life. But when I shared my personal life with somebody else before, they went and stabbed me in the back. They went and told other people. So can you see over here what happens? I want to avoid any kind of social interaction. And that was an opportunity for me to find new friends. But I'm going to avoid that. I might not even know why I'm avoiding it at this stage. But this is the vulnerability where you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So you're avoiding it. And you're telling, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I've got something on. Okay, I'm busy. Oh, I can't make it. And a person keeps going like this, whereas reality is, it's just avoidance coping. Yes, it's happened once. It doesn't mean it's going to keep on happening. And yes, we have this, it's hard. Going through something like that is very, very hard. It's very painful. And we even spoke about how, um, and, 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 and if it's happened in marriage, for example, this is very common. If you've had an unpleasant experience, then it breaks you. You feel very, very down. And then when somebody brings up the topic, even, okay, you've got, you, you've got two types of people. Some people are just being nosy or they're just being annoying. And they know and they're not sensitive. But you've got other people who, they don't even know you. They don't know your situation. And genuinely, they're asking or bringing up the topic. Um, so what do you think? Would you consider getting married again? And it's just like you've just learned to shut yourself off whenever that topic is. Whereas a person knows that, yes, I, this is something I do need to do. But it's a conversation we don't want to have. It could be about working and jobs. You might have had one or two bad experiences. And we avoid having that conversation. We spoke about last week where something's happened in the home and you've gone out the following day and the wife message is saying, last night what we spoke about, it's still playing on my mind. Can we talk about it? And as hard as it is, maybe in the past you've had conversations where it's not gone very well. Maybe you had to end up saying sorry or giving in, right? 
But then to overgeneralize and think every single conversation is going to go like that, it would only happen if we keep on avoiding it and making it into a big thing. And sometimes we have to face these things and go ahead with it. So anyhow, that was one side of the, of, of the coin and one side of, one way of dealing with it is, well, not a good way of dealing with it, is avoidance coping. And we said the solution to avoidance is what? What's the solution? Taking action, right? I know it sounds very simplistic and it's not as black and white as that. But in reality, when we come down to think about it, that is, that is it. Taking action. If you've got a message on your phone that you've been avoiding answering for days on end, right? The solution to that is sit down and just answer it. Um, and if there are certain things on our list that we're just not doing, you just go, and, and again, this moves away from overgeneralization as well, because this avoidance coping is not just to do with overgeneralization. It's something we do for a lot of things. Um, but moving on now today, inshallah, we're going to speak about if we've been through anything in life where we've lost trust, how to regain trust, getting to know Allah as a means of regaining trust. And that is what we're going to speak about. So when overgeneralization happens, and I've given you a few examples, it could be in a friendship where someone's betrayed you, could be in a marriage where a person, and we've looked at the case study as well, which we'll go back to inshallah, possibly next week. Um, and, or it could be at work, or it could be with anything. This can have a direct impact with our relationship with Allah. And this is why it's concerning. Because if we lose trust in people without realizing, it could lead us to losing trust in Allah as well. Because a person, I'm okay. And you don't want to expose yourself to being vulnerable of being let down again. So a person avoids even making dua for something you need, thinking, hmm, what if I, what if I don't get that? So a person thinks, now you don't sit and think about all of this like this. It doesn't go like that. It happens very fast. But you avoid making the dua. Again, this is avoiding. Thinking if I don't make it, I'll be better off because I won't get let down. Everyone's let me down and I don't want to get let down by Allah as well. Can we see where we're going with this? So that is not where we want to end up. We don't want to end up in that situation. So one of the best ways to reconnect with Allah is through getting to know Him through His attributes, through His sifat and His beautiful names. Now we can't realistically trust someone who we don't know. Trust is all about knowing someone. The, the more you know someone, you trust them. Why don't we trust any Tom, Dick and Harry? Because we don't know them. So we can't realistically trust someone who we don't know. So naturally learning more about Allah will be an important step in us reconnecting with Him because we'll be able to trust Him more. Do we understand? This, as Muslims, it's sad that we don't realize 
that we need to learn about Allah more every day. We, we don't just born with knowing it. What we've learned already is not sufficient. It might even be incorrect. We've been speaking in Juma last, not this one, but well, last three Jumas about the God image that we have and how it's, it can be a lot of the times it's quite skewed. It's not the true perception of Allah we should have. Um, so that drives us to understand that we must learn about Allah. We're going to look at a story that illustrates some of Allah's beautiful names. And even though that we have to open ourselves up emotionally, um, even with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, in trusting Him, He's still our protector the whole way. He's still looking out for you. And, and that is the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. The story of Yusuf alayhi salam We'll come back to the story of Yusuf al-Islam in a moment. Um, let me just mention something else to you before we do that. So when you feel you can't trust anyone and it leads you to thinking, how can I trust Allah? One powerful way of looking at it is in every single moment, in every single day, we already trust Allah. For example, just look at our breathing. Every time I breathe in, we're trusting Allah that the inhalation will go to our lungs. Every time I eat a morsel of food, I'm trusting Allah that Allah will ensure that this food will give the right parts of my body nutrition. When I drink, for example, I'm trusting. Can we see? So even though we might not be conscious of this, we're trusting Allah in every moment, every blessing we encounter. We're using it in a way and we're putting our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if I say that, I don't know if I can trust Allah, he actually contradicts what I'm doing. C can everyone see? We're, we're trusting Allah with everything, every day. There's so many things that are out of our control. We've left it to the, to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're already trusting Allah. And when we realize this, um, we realize also that maybe people, the guarantees that people give are not real guarantees. But the promise of Allah is always guaranteed. Allah says, The promise of Allah, Allah never goes against His promise. These are very important ayat of the Quran to keep at the front of our mind, not the back. The promise of Allah, Allah never goes against His promise. So, why would someone ever think that, you know, my, you know, Allah's not listening to me or I don't feel I can turn to Allah and nobody says that 
is generally when we make dua for something or for a situation and it doesn't happen or what we ask for we don't get right and we think that Allah's choosing to overlook what we want he is not listening to me or he's not answering my prayer or it's not happening most of the time we ask for what we want not what we need most of the time we're asking for what we want and not what we need and we assume that our wants are best for us but who knows better than us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's why in the Quran he says perhaps you hate something perhaps you hate something but that thing is good for you perhaps you love something but that thing is bad for you and then what does he say after that Allah knows while you know not this is what Allah says Allah very deep thought-provoking verses and it sums it up very well in the end and it comes down to this that Allah knows something that you don't and that is again trusting Allah's judgment trusting Allah's reasoning trusting Allah's decision there's a difference between wanting something and needing something the scholars mentioned that if we are asking for something and we're not given it to it we're not given it we don't truly need it because Allah always fulfills our needs if we really needed it Allah would have given it to us or oh, also realize another thing every prayer is heard by Allah some my prayers are not being heard no Allah is Al-Mujib again if we don't know Allah through his names and attributes we're going to totally misestimate him as he says in the Quran Allah says people have misestimated me they've not understood me one of Allah's name is Al-Mujib the one who responds to the prayer the one who always listens the all listening so our du'as are always heard by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the issue is this the answer to that du'a may come in a form that we don't anticipate the issue arises here when we've already got a fixed idea of how our du'a should be accepted we've we've made this up in our minds I'm asking for this and this is what it looks like and when it doesn't happen that way the way we anticipate that's when we have a problem so many people have recovered from a downward spiral which whether you call it low mood or depression or just losing connection with Allah and their faith and people just through one hadith and that's the one I'm going to share with you now. You've probably heard it so many times. But it's how much we internalize it. The Prophet ﷺ has said that whenever we make a dua, whenever we make a dua, the dua is always heard and it's always responded to. But it's responded to in one of three ways. It's not always going to be you get what you want. That doesn't mean your dua is not accepted. So it's one of three ways. Number one, either Allah hastens in fulfilling the supplication 
by granting you what you wanted the way you wanted it that's just one way of acceptance so that you've, you've got what you wanted you wanted a dream job or a house or a marriage or a car or you wanted to pass your test and you asked for it and you got it exactly where the way you wanted it that's just one of the ways how Allah answers the du'as or number two Allah stores it for you for the hereafter now how would you know will we ever know no and Allah doesn't have to tell us he doesn't owe it to us we kind of act as if oh Allah I made the dua so you should tell me if you're not going to give it to me so then I don't go crazy no that, that's why he's made the Prophet tell us that trust in Allah like trusting him fully he's already said that he accepts the prayers now either he's going to give you that thing or he's going to be stored in the hereafter and number three sometimes Allah uses that dua of yours to divert a calamity something unpleasant again which we might not even ever know how many unpleasant things could have happened to us and Allah's used that dua to divert that damage, that calamity, that illness, that problem away from us. Which means that we carry on praying, we carry on turning to Allah. You know what the Sahaba said? Like, we hear this and we think, oh, okay, right, we're not going to get the way we want it. The Sahaba used this as an opportunity. The Sahaba said, in that case, we're going to ask for even more things. And the Prophet ﷺ responded by saying, well, Allah has even more than that. So Sahaba said, we're going to make more dua then, because now we've known, sometimes when you're asking someone for something, right, and you're not getting it, mm, might as well not ask anymore. But when you know now that every time you ask, you're always getting it, maybe not exactly in the way you want, but you're always getting something in return, either now, or either in the shape of a calamity being removed or either in the hereafter then you think oh brilliant i'm gonna make loads of dua now i'm never gonna give up i'm never gonna become despondent so the sahaba said we're gonna make loads of dua and allah the prophet said well allah's got much more than that he's gonna keep giving he's gonna keep blessing you because there's no shortage in allah's treasures again sometimes we treat allah like humans we think oh can i ask for that it's a bit too much. I've already, I've already met my quota for today. No. There is no shortage. When, you, when it comes to asking Allah, you can ask for anything. Because there's nothing impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, try to take an objective look at your life. Now, this is a time for us looking into our lives now. Take an objective look into our lives. In particular, the du'as you feel, the du'as you feel have not been responded to. Just think for a moment. Other du'as in your life where you feel that you prayed for something or you've been praying for something and it's not happened yet or it's not happened in the way you want it. Yeah, I'm sure we've all got something there. Now, could the answer possibly have come in a different form? 
Maybe you were hurt, but that could have protected you from a greater hurt. Maybe we did feel some kind of calamity, but that could have protected us from a greater calamity. Someone could have been praying for a dream home, for example, for years and years. Okay, you put your life savings together and Allah grants it to you. But then you move into the house and may Allah protect us. But say, for example, there's a flood or something like that and everything's destroyed, everything's damaged. That's a huge calamity, right? And it can really, really bring someone down. It can be quite damaging for a person internally. But at the same time, while assessing the damage, what we could do, and this is just an example, we could remind ourselves that this is painful, but the house and its property, it's replaceable. But the lives and the health of those who I love, meaning my own family, okay, that's not replaceable. So we can reframe it and look at it a, a different way. That, okay, I've lost my house, I've lost my property, very painful. But I still have my family. I still have my friends. I still have myself. In, in the process of this, we've not lost ourselves. So this is, otherwise, we, otherwise, you know, the struggle we would have faced had we lost our family and children. Okay, maybe I can get housed somewhere else. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But that would have been so much more difficult, losing family in the damage. Maybe somebody prayed for a marriage, and everybody does. That I want a marriage that's full of love, full of mercy. And then maybe a sister finds out that her husband's been cheating on her, for example. Right? It breaks you. Okay? It, it, it tears you apart. The pain is unbearable. What do you do though? Whilst processing the pain and trying to heal, maybe we can look at it from a different perspective and think, the marriage didn't work out, but Allah has granted me beautiful children. Maybe this calamity came and through that, okay, I don't have the marriage anymore, but I've got beautiful children. Had it not been for this marriage, I wouldn't have had these beautiful children. Maybe Allah wanted to grant me. Can we see? The pain has already happened and it's not going to go away. It takes time. But in the process of healing, we can help ourselves managing it better by looking at it from a different perspective and giving a different meaning to it. And certain aspects of even an unpleasant marriage can't be taken away. Lessons that we learn. I sometimes look at certain events which I would look at overall as negative but when I look back I think do you know the lessons that were learned they are so valuable yes we don't want to go into that situation again may Allah protect us but looking back we can think I did learn some very valuable lessons which is going to make me a stronger and a better person going forward so despite the mistrust and despite the betrayal the experience the lessons, the children, for example, in a marriage, right? And do you know what? Once you've moved away, that in itself is a blessing, isn't it? That you're no longer in an unhealthy relationship. What about that? You know, when we say Allah removes the calamity. So you end up having 
lessons, experience, some people, maybe even children, but you're no longer in the unhealthy relationship. Isn't that a blessing? That Allah's removed an unhealthy relationship. Allah's plan is such that we don't know the ins and outs. He may have had something in mind for you to experience for a certain reason. But the fact that you're not in that relationship anymore shows that Allah has removed the calamity. This, it just helps to heal better and move on. Um, instead of thinking that I've been hurt so deeply, I can't ever trust anyone again. We can reframe this by thinking there is a being that I can trust all the time. And who is that? That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever disappoint us. Never. People can and people will. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never disappoint us. Even if on the surface something seems negative, Allah is Al-Wakil. Look, we're going through a lot of names here. And Al-Wakil is the one who takes care of all needs. And he's promised to take care of all my needs. So even if something looks negative on the surface, he's taking care of all my needs. Now, we're going to look at a story. And that is a story of Yusuf alayhi salam. I'm not going to go into all of the details, of course, we don't have the time. But just to understand this much better, and how the Quran has answered all these questions for us. So, what do we find in the story of Yusuf alayhi salam? It's filled with danger and betrayal throughout, from beginning to end. Danger and betrayal, two things we find. Yeah, it's so inspirational because the ending of the story shows one thing. What does it show? When the story ends, one thing we know and learn that Yusuf realizes that there was one subtle force in his life that was with him from beginning to the end. And who was that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Despite the betrayal, despite the dangers, despite all the ups and downs that he went through, Allah was with him and Allah is with us, not just with him, with us at every single stage of our life. One thing to remember is Yusuf alayhi salam, was he a normal person? Was he just a normal person? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam spoke about him at, uh, by calling him Kareem ibn al-Kareem ibn al-Kareem ibn al-Kareem. He was the noble one, the son of a noble one, the son of a noble one, the son of a noble one. Praising Yusuf alayhi salam. Who was Yusuf alayhi salam the son of? Yaqub. Who was Yaqub the son of? Ishaq. Who was Ishaq the son of? Ibrahim. So he, if someone so beloved to Allah went through betrayal and went through so many dangers, going through something like this isn't an indication of whether Allah loves you or not. This is where we kind of make a mistake. We think, oh, if Allah loved me, I wouldn't go through this. Hurt. Well, why did Yusuf go through it? So that's not an indication. C can you see what happens in every stage of our life? We kind of jump to this negative image of Allah straight away. Whereas if we knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala better, we would use it as a source of healing, not as a source of running away from Him. Yes.
how does Allah look upon non-Muslims? So answering the question, yes. Even though they're not Muslims, many a time Allah does answer the prayers of non-Muslims as well. But they will get their allotted portion in this world. Yeah. Especially, the one hadith clearly states, دَعْوَةَ uh, الْمَظْلُومِ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ حِجَابٍ the cry of an oppressed person, there is no barrier between them and Allah. And then the hadith, even if it's a kafir. So if someone's being oppressed, uh, rightly oppressed, even if it's a non-believer, between them and Allah, there is no barrier. Allah will respond. Um, and yeah, Allah does hear their prayers. Um, and respond to them according to how he wants, but their benefit is in this world. The Quran says, doesn't it? Allah actually wanted, Allah tells us about himself, what Allah wanted to do and he, why he didn't do it for us, for our sake. Allah wanted to make the houses of the disbelievers out of gold and silver. He wanted to give them such a lavish lifestyle, meaning all of them. But the only reason he didn't do it, because then we'd struggle even more than we're struggling. Just to show that Allah doesn't care about this world. This world is insignificant in his eyes. It doesn't mean anything. It's a means to an end. It's not the be and be all and end all. Because it is for them, but not for the believers. But Allah says that this is what, in an ideal situation, he would have wanted to do that. And he tells us in the Quran, but he didn't. So, and he's blessing them as well. He's giving to them as well. So Yusuf alayhi salam, even if people around you choose to hurt you, remember, people are choosing to hurt you. And that even that could be friends, that could be family, that could be the people closest to you, like it was in Yusuf alayhi salam's story. That's not an indication of whether Allah loves you or not. Okay. Yusuf salam experienced betrayal from his brothers who tried to what? What did they try to do? Kill him, right? Wow, think about that. That's, that's huge. That's next level betrayal. They tried to kill him. He experienced betrayal from an employer, someone who employed him, who wanted to try and seduce him. And then accused him wrongfully of sexual violation. That's another type of betrayal he went through. Another betrayal he went through is high-ranking officials, they imprisoned Yusuf salam despite him not committing a single crime. And throughout all of this, Allah was closer to him than his jugular vein. And Allah protected him by giving him ways to dodge and avoid physical and spiritual danger. So even whilst all of these dangers and betrayals were happening, as we say, that the subtle hand of God was still playing, and we can see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was supporting him. Let, let, let's look at this now. So when we look at it from one angle, everything just looks really bad. When we look at it from a different angle, what we notice is, whilst the brothers were plotting to kill him, Right? Look at this story. 
When the brothers were plotting to kill him, what did one of the brothers suggest? Hmm? When they were plotting to kill him, one of the brothers suggested what? Yeah. Sorry? No, this is, this is before that. When they were plotting to kill him, did they kill him? What did they do? Threw him into a well because the eldest brother, well, they agreed they're going to kill him. That's what the Quran tells us as well. When they were about to do it, the eldest brother said, let's throw him into a well instead. Who, who was doing that? When we look at it overall, it seems very negative. Can you see that even in this suffering or betrayal and danger, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah still there. He's not gone. He's there every step of the way. Who made this happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he was accused, now accusation, someone accuses you and the accusation is coming from the wife of the minister. But what about when the evidence was brought forward? When the evidence was brought forward, what happened? The physical evidence was contrary to the accusation when the shirt was bought. When he faced constant temptation from Zuleikha and he had nowhere to go, Allah protected him then as well from spiritual damage. Okay, spiritually, that would have just killed somebody engaging in the act. He had nowhere to go. Now, where did Allah place him? In the cell, in the prison. I think going to prison, right? That's, but no, this is, this is Allah's plan. And we're being taught to trust the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So through experiencing constant betrayals, Prophet Yusuf learned one thing. He learned that it was only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he had with him throughout the whole way. When he was in the well, who was with him? Allah was with him. What was Allah doing? Protecting him. Like he's protecting those people who are coming out of the rubble five days later. Like the yesterday, the woman said that I was praying, making one dua that, oh Allah, like you protected Yusuf in the well, protect me as well. And she comes out after five days and Alhamdulillah, she's in a decent condition despite it being so long. Who was there with him? So when we look at what our situation, sometimes we think this is really hard. I'm going through so much trouble, right? We don't feel like praying. We don't feel like turning to Allah. But Allah is always with you because he has said he is Al-Waleen. Al-Waleen. He is the closest guardian and protector who will always be with you. He's your closest friend. And that's what Yusuf realized. And he also learned that at a time where the closest people might betray you or cause you harm, this will only raise your status and open many more doors for you. Did he open doors for Yusuf Right, looking outside in, right? There's a, there's a concept of looking outside in and inside out. Everybody's heard of the, the movie Inside Out or the book. Yeah, Inside Out. You must have heard of Inside Out. It, it's, it's geared towards children, but it, it's got a very powerful message. It speaks about emotions and what's happening inside. And it's got these 
little emotions going on. Like what happens inside you? And we've been speaking about this for the last so many weeks. So when we look outside in and inside out, it's two totally different things. When you let's look about outside in, because the world focuses more on the outer, right? This is what it looks like. So from outside in, it looked as if Yusuf salam was moving backwards in his life and his life was falling apart. If you look at it from the outside, like he's got thrown into the well, then he got sold into the market, then he was made into a slave, and then he was almost seduced by a woman, then he was thrown into the prison. L look at that. I mean, when you look at it from the outside, it looked like he's going backwards and his life is falling apart. But in reality, Yusuf was being positioned to become who Allah destined him to be. Allah destined him to be a certain person in a certain place. And if even one small step was missed in this whole story, Yusuf wouldn't have reached where he reached. Can we see? So the grand finale that happens right at the end where Yusuf is there on the throne and his mother and his father and all of his brothers prostrate to him that happens right at the end but in order to achieve that this was the method and this is Allah's way Allah says this is how we planned it for Yusuf and this is how Allah plans for all of us we don't know now at that time, Yusuf al-Islam Allah, why am, why am I thrown into the well? Why am I in the prison? Why is this woman chasing me? Why have you put me in the... He didn't. He realized, and we're going to come to the end, and he, which names of Allah he used to get by. And we're going to start using these names, inshallah. And at the end, what happens, he was given this rank and honor, reunited with his family. The hidden wisdom of Allah was present throughout the whole journey and the one name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's two names of Allah we're going to touch on and we're going to end on this there's two names of Allah Yusuf salam, if you look at the story of Yusuf salam, when he ends Yusuf salam says um, this is the fulfillment of the dream that I saw you know the dream that I saw and his dad said don't tell your brothers they're going to be jealous of you. He says, now he's on the throne. Mom, dad, all the brothers are prostrating to him. And he's become like the biggest person in Egypt now. From where he was to what he's become. And he's gone through all of this. And now he says, this is the fulfillment of my dream. And Allah was very kind. Look how he speaks about Allah. Compared to how we speak about Allah. وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ Allah was very kind to me when he took me out of the prison, right? He didn't use the well. He took the prison example. And after my brothers, after shaitan, and he didn't blame his brothers, right? He chose to blame, blame the shaitan. After shaitan, you know, he messed with my brother's minds and they threw me into the well. This is what we're getting to what helped him to get through all of this and that's what we're going to try and use um correct me if i'm wrong those who are who 
and you're hating it. But then the car in front of you, you just obviously just sitting there for hours and hours in traffic. Then you might notice that the number plate in front of you, maybe it spells a word out for you. Or there's a message at the back. And that inspires you. That takes you to a realization. Who's doing that? That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-Latif. And Yusuf alayhi salam, at the end of all of this story, so many betrayals and dangers. That's the one name of Allah he uses. Inna Rabbi Latifun Lima Yasha. That's that's one. And one more that he uses, he says going further on, Fatirasamawati wal Ard. What comes after that? Fatirasamawati wal Ard. Then Anta Anta Walihi fi dunya wal akhira. Al-Wali. He says, Oh Allah, you are my Wali in the dunya and the akhirah. And Al-Wali, you know what it means? It can mean so many things. Allah is the loving defender. Allah is my loving defender. No matter what situation I'm in, He's always on your side. He's defending you. It means the nearby guardian. Allah is very close to us. He says it's closer to you than your jugular vein. He's a constant supporter. Al-Wali means loving defender. Means nearby guardian. Your constant supporter. The one who paves a path towards your solution. The one who defends you from potential harm. Even the harms that you're completely unaware of. So this is Al-Wali. Have we seen Al-Wali? Many times without realizing. Imagine you're running late for work. You get caught up in traffic, getting frustrated. You're going to be late. You're already late and then you're in a traffic jam. It has to be today. I always get a red light. Okay. Only to later find out that on your normal route, it was a very bad accident. And then you realize, Anta fi dunya wal Without even knowing, Allah is constantly defending us. He's constantly on our side, looking out for us. Maybe you recently befriended someone, started to get to know them, and then you find out they've been going around saying X, Y, and Z about you. Right? That news came to you. You found out. Again, this is a way of Allah helping you, defending you, so that you don't fall into that trap. And Allah's told you, this information has come to you. This is Allah being your wali. And it's, it's, it's the way we can see it. So Allah's friendship comes in different forms. And we, when we begin trusting again after betrayal, it's very difficult because we're being vulnerable. But remember, by starting to trust again, we're reclaiming the power, we're reclaiming the power that we gave to those that hurt us. Right? Rather than giving them the power, take that power back. Be in control. Why? Because Allah is on our side. And he has a supportive plan for you, just like he had a supportive plan for Yusuf alayhi salam. So let us this week take with us these two beautiful names of Allah. One is Ya Latif and Ya Wali. And live with this. Live with these names. When we go through difficult times, repeating Ya Latif, Ya Latif, Ya Latif, Ya Latif, 
Ya Latif, Ya Latif. It's very therapeutic. Why? Because you're submitting to Allah that Allah knows all the intricacies and his way of working is so subtle. We might, we might think like, what is going on? But Allah knows something so much greater and he's got a master plan. If we look at the story of Yusuf salam, from our minds, we think that's crazy. That's just like, why would, why would he go in the well? Why would he be sold? Why would, why would he? But when we understand Al-Latif, you don't question it like that. You just trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you know he's always your defender. He's on your side. And on the other hand, we have Al-Wali. Two powerful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Defender, def, the defender, your supporter, your guardian, your protective friend who's always with you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. This week's lesson is number 70. Okay, so this week, inshallah, what was the status of Al-Aqsa in the life of the Sahaba? That's the question. What was the status of Al-Aqsa in the life of the Sahaba? The Sahaba developed a very deep-rooted love, which was faith-based with Masjid Al-Aqsa from the beginning of Islam. They understood its significance, they were prepared to make sacrifices for it and work towards its liberation because of their immense love of the Prophet Because they saw the Prophet was so connected to Al-Aqsa, they wanted to become connected to it as well. Because they saw the Prophet's connection. Why wouldn't they possess such a deep rooted love for Al Aqsa when they prayed towards Masjid Al Aqsa in the most challenging moments of their life? Think about it. The most challenging moments of their life was that time in Mecca. And it was then that they were facing towards Masjid Al Aqsa. Why wouldn't they love it? They, they were deeply in love with it. Because in their most difficult times, that was their Qibla. When you're, when you're facing towards the Qibla, you don't just pray namaz. All your du'as are towards that direction as well. So think about it. In their most difficult moments, they're praying towards Al-Aqsa. Thus, the connection was very, very strong. Imam Ahmad reports a hadith that Rasulullah would pray facing Baytul Maqdis and the Kaaba would be in front of him whilst he was in Makkah. And he continued facing Baytul Maqdis even after migrating to Medina for another 16 months. And then the Qibla was changed to the Kaaba. Thus the Qibla remained Baytul Maqdis Masjid Al-Aqsa for 14 and a half years. 10 years in Makkah. Sorry, 13 years in Makkah. And about one and a half years after coming to Medina Munawwara as well. A keen reader of the seerah of the Prophet will come across numerous examples of this. The great Sahabi Jundub bin Junada. Who's that? No, there's no excuses. I mentioned it on Tuesday. Who's Jundub bin Junada? Name? Original name of Jundub bin Junada. 
ابو ذر الغفاری ابو ذر الغفاری رضی اللہ عنہ he inquired about Masjid Al-Aqsa in the early days of Islam once in Mecca. Abu Dhar Al-Ghifari, he's asking the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he came to Mecca, right, it's still Mecca days, he asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Prophet of Allah, which masjid was placed on earth first? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Masjid Al-Haram. Which one was second? He was told Masjid Al-Aqsa. How long was that between the building or the placing of both? He was told 40 years. So this is Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu asking early on. Now the love of Masjid al-Aqsa had been cultivated, and I use the word cultivated here, in the heart of Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the other companions whilst they were in Mecca, so much so that even after migrating to Medina Munawwara, they're sitting in Masjid Nabawi. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is in their midst. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is there. They're in Masjid Nabawi. It's been years now. They've migrated to Medina Munawwara and they're having a discussion amongst themselves. Is it more virtuous to pray in Masjid Nabawi or is it more virtuous to pray in Masjid Al-Aqsa? Now you mean like, why would they even have this discussion? Why would they have this discussion? Why is this a question? For us, it's quite clear. We know because there's so many hadith there that we know it's more virtuous to pray in Masjid al-Nabawi than it is to pray in Masjid al-Aqsa. But the Sahaba was so strongly connected to Masjid al-Aqsa that it led them to question this. And the Prophet wasallam, he heard this conversation, so he made it very clear that the reward of praying in Masjid al-Nabawi is far greater than praying in Masjid Al-Aqsa. That's, that's in its place. But then he said, He said, what an amazing place Masjid Al-Aqsa is to pray. So he sallallahu alayhi wasallam continued cultivating the love of Masjid Al-Aqsa, what he had already done in Makkah Al-Mukarramah. The Sahaba were already deeply connected because their most difficult time was in Makkah. And throughout that period, they were facing towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. So they were already deeply connected. And then in Medina, the Prophet Sallallahu carried on and continued working on them. Sayyiduna Abu Dhar radiallahu he kept the concern and the connection to Masjid Al-Aqsa continuously alive, so much so that he eventually took part in the conquest of Jerusalem in the year 15 after Hijrah. Uh, accompanying Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he also temporarily lived in Baytul Maqdis as well so can you see where he started from that love for Baytul Maqdis was cultivated in his heart he continued inquiring about it discussing it eventually goes participates in the liberation and the conquest even lives there Sayyidina Abu Dhar radiallahu ta'ala who says that once Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa came to me whilst I'd fallen asleep in Masjid Nabawi. So he goes, I just fell asleep one day in the Masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ came up to me. He tapped me with his feet. And I woke up. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Abu Dhar, am I seeing you sleeping in the Masjid? Did you actually fall asleep? And Abu Dhar said, I was overpowered by sleep, Ya Rasulullah. Sleep overpowered me. I didn't actually intentionally go to sleep. Sleep overpowered me. 
And the Prophet said, What will you do when the people exile you, O Abu Dhar? And immediately Abu Dhar had an answer. And this is, O Prophet of Allah, if people exile me from Makkah or Medina, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Asham, Baytul Maqdis. I'm going to go to that area. I already know where to go. Because the love of this place was already cultivated in the heart. But then the Prophet said, Abu Dhar, what about when people exile you from there? Abu Dhar said, A'udhu Billah. Out of surprise. What? People are going to, they're not going to leave me alone there as well. We spoke on Tuesday a little bit about the temperament and the nature of Sayyidina Abu Dhar that even in Baytul Maqdis, because of the difference he had with some of the Sahaba, he didn't see eye to eye, he had difference of opinion, very strongly believed in certain things. Thus, he was told to even leave Asham as well. So out of surprise, he said, Billah, what people are going to drive me out of there as well. So the best of Allah's creation after all of the prophets is who? Without any doubt. Without any doubt, the best of Allah's creation after all of the prophets. Who is it? There's only one person who holds this rank. Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Without any doubt. No doubt in this whatsoever. The best of Allah's creation. He was responsible for dispatching the army of Usama bin Zayd. The last army prepared by the Prophet He did dispatch it, but by the time uh, the army hadn't left Medina and they heard the news of the Prophet passing away. So in the, in the interim what happens, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr anhu, he is the one who dispatched this army. Where was this army heading towards? In the direction of Baytul Maqdis. And then tirelessly he worked. He wanted, during his caliphate, which only lasted two years, he wanted to take Baytul Maqdis under Muslim control. And this is why when he dispatched the army of Amr ibn al-Asr as Imam al-Waqidi says in Futuh Hasham, he went to Amr ibn al-As and he said to him specifically that your objective is Jerusalem and Palestine. That's where I want you to go. And we know that he only followed in the footsteps of the Prophet He knew that the sending of the army of Usama bin Zayd was for this reason. Sayyidina Abu Bakr wrote a letter to Khalid bin Walid and he said to him, hurry with your army and support your brothers who have gone to Asham. He says, Wallahi, by Allah, it is more beloved to me that Allah allows you to conquer a village of Baytul Maqdis than you conquer an entire region of Iraq. So this is the a, a region that Khalid bin Marid had gone to. He says, when you receive this letter immediately, I want you to come to Asham. And a small village of Baytul Maqdis being liberated and conquered by you is more beloved to me than the entire region and area of Iraq. Leave where you are, come and join your brothers over here. And we know that Baytul Maqdis was conquered by Sayyidina Umar anhu, and he himself, the Khalifa, arrived to collect the keys. He was riding, uh, his servant was riding, and he was wearing clothes that were patched. Some said there were 17 patches on his clothing on this occasion. Sayyidina Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah who was very closely connected to Sayyidina Umar who made a comment and he said, you know, you should have dressed for the occasion. You should have dressed for the occasion. And Umar said, I wish someone beside you had said this. 
I wish it wasn't you who said this statement. And then Umar who said his famous words. And he said that we were, a, we were a nation, we were downtrodden. We were despised. We were worthless. Allah granted us glory through Islam. And anyone who seeks glory through anything other than Islam, Allah will disgrace them. This clothing that I'm wearing, this animal that I've got, that doesn't determine glory and victory. And he carried on in the patch clothing that he had with the servant riding and he entered Jerusalem in this way. And we find that the love and the connection the Sahaba had with Masjid Al-Aqsa manifested further when thousands of them chose to accompany Sayyidina Umar in the conquest of Jerusalem. Many others traveled there for worship. Many chose to live there. Many even chose to die there as well. Sheikh Mujuruddin Al-Hambali Rahimahullah says, such a large number of Sahaba entered Baytul Maqdis, only Allah knows the true number. Basically saying that no one is able to actually count how many Sahaba undertook this journey for various reasons. Only Allah knows the true number. Sayyidina Bilal accompanied Umar in the conquest and was the first person to call out the Adhan in Masjid Al-Aqsa. First to call out the Adhan on the Kaaba in Islam. First to call out the Adhan in Masjid Nabawi. First to call out the Adhan in Masjid Al-Aqsa. And finally, we all know about Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar He would travel to Masjid Al-Aqsa with the intention of only performing Salah. That's it. Like this place drove the Sahaba, motivated the Sahaba, that he would leave Medina and go all the way from Makkah or Medina. He's going all the way with the intention of just praying Salah. And he refused even to drink a glass of water once he was in the masjid. Why? He says, I want to achieve the dua of Sulaiman alayhi salam, where he said, anybody who comes to this masjid with the intention of praying Salah will leave just like their mother gave them birth, meaning totally sinless. When you go for Hajj and you come back totally sinless, praying two rakat in Masjid Al-Aqsa affords you this opportunity of becoming totally sinless. I, I want to achieve that. And this is what he would strive for. Now, this week's campaign, how would you rate your love for Masjid Al-Aqsa on a scale from 0 to 10? How would you rate your love for Masjid Al-Aqsa on a scale from 0 to 10? And specifically, my question is for this week, what are you going to do differently this week to increase your love for Masjid Al-Aqsa so that next week we score higher when we sit together inshallah. So this is something for you to reflect on, something for you to think on. First of all, how would you rate your love for Masjid Al-Aqsa on a scale from 0 to 10? And what am I going to do? What are you going to do differently this week that will enable us to score higher next week inshallah? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Now, inshallah, we'll give some time to recite the Quran. MashaAllah, may Allah accept everyone's recitation. I'm sure you already saw the difference and felt the difference. It's only a few minutes of recitation, but very effective just by changing the volume. And this is something we can do. It doesn't have to, you know, sometimes we put off reciting Quran thinking we have to read a whole juz. 
Even if it's five minutes, you've got five minutes, sit, read it with purpose, with intent, read it loudly. And the impact of it is very uh, powerful. May Allah give us a tawfiq to have a strong connection with the Quran. Ramadan is coming up, so it's a good thing for us to get into from now, inshallah. Um, I have some sad news to share with you. Um, there's a Syrian brother. Syrian, he's Syrian, isn't he? Also, he's Palestinian originally, uh, but he lived in Syria. Um, el uh, you could say he was elderly, or 70, okay. He didn't look that old, but 70-year-old. Um, we used to see him regularly in Ramadan. Those who come here during Ramadan, you'll definitely know who I'm talking about. And he had a fixed place. He'd sit around somewhere here on a chair. And he was, I know in our masjid, we don't normally have this kind of practice where when the person giving the bayan is giving the talk, people kind of just listen. Um, I mean, in some places you go to, you've got people putting the hand up or just speaking to the imam or the khatib and either correcting him or giving their uh, input as well. So mashallah, he would come in Ramadan um, and he would sit right here and he was very active. If he had something to share, he shared. If the khatib or the imam or whoever was talking asked a question, he would always be the first person to answer and also give his and he'd, uh, you know, kind of approve whatever the imam was saying saying yes this is right this is how it should be done and he was he was it was quite a good interactive uh, gathering that he would kind of vibe he would create um sadly he's passed away um yesterday he was someone so on saturday sorry yes yesterday he was someone who frequented the homeless shelter as well and brothers would see him regularly week in week out yesterday um was it friday 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 he he didn't show up and it was discovered later on he'd passed away no one knows exactly how long he'd been it been since he passed away and upon inquiry um it's been discovered that he doesn't have anybody here at all no one no family no immediate or distant even relatives as well um and the family he has are in different countries and they can't get here in time so currently um he's resting in the masjid uh, and they're still waiting for the coroner to get back and understand the funeral arrangements. So first of all, just make dua. Allah grants him maghfirah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the stages of the hereafter easy. For other people, they have so many people praying for them, right? Uh, there is no one. Literally, he's here. There's no one here for him at all. The masjid have taken up the responsibility uh, to provide this level of care even after somebody passes away. So this, this can we understand and understand, see how this kind of duty is upon the Muslim community, right? This is who's, who else is going to do it. So in terms of his janazah and details, etc., will be announced as soon as we have further information. But the main thing what I want to ask everyone is to please make dua. And when you do hear about it, whatever support you can give and attend and participate. Insha'Allah will be much appreciated. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him maghfirah and grant him the highest abode in Jannah al Firdaus. Recite the Rishari for Allah. La ilaha 
Allahu Allah, 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 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله اللهم اغفر لحينا وميتنا وشاهدنا وغائبنا وصغيرنا وكبيرنا وذكرنا وأنثانا اللهم من أحييته منا فأحيه على الإسلام ومن توفيته منا فتوفه على الإيمان O kind and loving Allah, O most merciful Allah, O generous Allah, O most compassionate Allah O Allah you are Al-Hakim, O Allah you are All-Wise O oh Allah, you have a good reason for everything you do, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we do not understand. We don't know. O oh Allah, our knowledge is very little, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we can't comprehend, O oh Allah. But we believe in you, O oh Allah. We trust in you, O oh Allah. We trust in your wisdom, O oh Allah. We trust in your knowledge, O oh Allah. We trust in you being Al-Latif, O oh Allah. We trust in you being Al-Wali, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you are our protector. You are our guardian. O oh Allah, you know our affairs better than us, O oh Allah. Everything belongs to you, O oh Allah. The kingdom belongs to you, O Allah. The heavens and the earth belong to you, O Allah. The people belong to you, O Allah. O Allah, we beg for your mercy, O Allah. We beg for your affection, O Allah. We beg for your compassion, O Allah. You do as you think best, O Allah. You are the all-knowledgeable, O Allah. Only you know why, O Allah. Only you know the divine reason, O Allah. We believe, O Allah. We believe, O Allah. We know, O Allah, that there is a divine reason for everything, O Allah. We just beg you for afia, O Allah. We beg you for ease. O oh Allah, we beg you for comfort, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, thousands of brothers and sisters, O oh Allah, children, O oh Allah, O Allah, help them, O oh Allah, protect them, O oh Allah, sustain them, O oh Allah, have mercy upon their condition, O oh Allah. 
O oh Allah, be with them, O oh Allah. Assist them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help them, O oh Allah. Recover them, O oh Allah. Assist and protect them, O oh Allah. Protect their livelihood or whatever they have remaining, O oh Allah. Strengthen their faith and their iman, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we know those who you have taken, O oh Allah, are shuhada, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, become pleased with them, O oh Allah. We know that you will reward and repay them with the best in Jannah for those, O oh Allah. Make, become, make, make them close to you, O oh Allah. Become pleased with them, O oh Allah. Those who are injured, O oh Allah, grant them shifa, O oh Allah. Grant them cure, O oh Allah. Grant them afia, O oh Allah. Grant them recovery, O oh Allah. If it is possible, unite them with their families, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, they are freezing, O oh Allah. They are hungry, O oh Allah. They are starving, O oh Allah. They are homeless, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help us to be grateful for the blessings you have given us, O oh Allah. And do whatever is within our capacity, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we know you are testing us at the same time, O oh Allah. Help us to do what's best, O oh Allah. Help us to do what you want us to do, O oh Allah. Guide us, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we don't know. O oh Allah, we don't know. O oh Allah, we don't know. O oh Allah, you guide us. Help us, O oh Allah. Show us the way, O oh Allah. Show us the way, O oh Allah. Protect us from all types of calamities, O oh Allah. Always keep us and our families with afia, O oh Allah. Help us to take heed, O oh Allah, that you can do anything at any time, O oh Allah. Help us to understand you and become closer to you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, make these events a moment for us to strengthen our in you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, when we face calamities, O oh Allah, we beg you, O oh Allah, make it a means of us strengthening our conviction in you, O oh Allah, becoming closer to you, O oh Allah, becoming your friend, O oh Allah. You are always there, O oh Allah. Your mercy is always near, O oh Allah. Help us to feel it, O oh Allah. Help us to experience it, O oh Allah. Help us to know you even better, O oh Allah. Grant us your ma'rifah. Grant us your recognition, O oh Allah. Make us closer to you, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we know you are our friend, O oh Allah. Help us to be your friend, O oh Allah. Allah. Help us to continue doing those things that please you, O oh Allah. At all times, O oh Allah, we grant you for divine guidance, O oh Allah. We beg you to guide us along Sirat al Mustaqim, O oh Allah. Help us to live according to the way of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Be with those who are afflicted, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, be with them, O oh Allah. Have mercy upon their condition, O oh Allah. Shower them with your protection, O oh Allah. Shower them with your protection, O oh Allah. Shower them with your protection, O oh Allah. Those who are assisting and Aiding them, O oh Allah, grant them further strength, O oh Allah. It is challenging, it is difficult, O oh Allah, in such harsh conditions, O oh Allah. You grant them the strength, O oh Allah. You reward them for all, whatever they are doing, O oh Allah, on our behalf, O oh Allah. We should have been there. We should be going and doing everything we can, O oh Allah. But there are thousands of people who have gone on behalf of the whole world, O oh Allah, Muslim and non-Muslim, giving all the support to your creation, O oh Allah. Help them and protect them, O oh Allah. Reward them. Allow them to carry out the best level of relief work possible, O oh Allah. Help us to do whatever we can, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we know you are testing us, O oh Allah. We know you are testing us, O oh Allah. Make our test easy for us, O oh Allah. Help us and protect us in this test, O oh Allah. A time will come when we all have to leave the world, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us death with Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Grant us death with Afiyah, O oh Allah. Grant us death with Afiyah, O oh Allah. Protect us from a sudden death, O oh Allah. Protect us from a sudden death, O oh Allah. Help us to go and leave the world in a way that you are pleased with us and we are pleased with you, O oh Allah. We are in prostration or reciting the Quran. Oh, we are we are we are obeying you, O oh Allah. Help us and protect us from dying in your disobedience, O oh Allah, dying in your wrath, O oh Allah. Grant us all husnul khatima, O oh Allah. Make our last day our best day, our final action, our best action, and grant us kalim kalima la ilaha illallah. Muhammadur Rasulullah when we are leaving the world. Bless us in the month of Rajab and Sha'ban and grant 
enhances the ability to witness another Ramadan, O oh Allah. Make this Ramadan a life-changing opportunity for us, O oh Allah, in which we turn to you. Grant us the life of taqwa, O oh Allah. Grant us the ability to prepare for it so that when Ramadan comes, we are ready, O oh Allah. Have mercy upon the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.